Before we start today's conversation with Ruben, I want to give a quick content warning. There's some language on here that's a little bit PG-13, as well as we deal with the topics of addiction and mental health. So with that in mind, I hope that you really enjoy today's conversation as it is one of the most vulnerable and honest conversations we've had on the show. Hello and welcome to the Sock Valley Spotlight Podcast, where we shine a light on the people and places of the beautiful Sock Valley. In each episode, we highlight the hidden gems and untold stories of local businesses, community leaders, and the people that call the Sock Valley home. I'm your host, Drew Williams, and today I'm joined by Ruben Moreno, who works as a correction officer in East Moline. Ruben, thanks for joining us today. Thanks, buddy. Thanks for uh, having me. And uh, I'd like to say that uh, you know, my mom always said that I had the face for radio. So thanks for putting that. Uh, well, then uh, we're a match made in heaven because, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I have a voice that works better if we edit out a lot of stuff and put a whole lot of EQ on there. But first... <laughs> Jokes aside, Ruben, mm-hmm. thanks for being here. Can you just give us a quick snapshot? Um, who are you? Who do you love? Give us an intro. All right. Uh, like you said, my name is Ruben Marino. Um, I'm a husband, father, stepfather, correctional officer, lifetime martial artist, and I've been sober now for two years. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit. You've been you've been a local here. How long? My whole life. So, so going on going on fifty years. I'm 40, 49 years young. So, so give me give me the story of Ruben. Start. I mean, you don't have to start with your birth, but what's the journey that took you uh, through being raised here, through schooling into life, into you know kids, and now where you're at now. Uh, well, I was—I guess I was born here. My dad actually uh, came here from Texas. Uh, mm. My grandpa was actually one of the founding fathers, actually, that came from Texas to Sterling, Illinois, when uh, when P. W. Dillon opened the uh, the steel mill. All right. There was like about like about four or five like patriarch Mexican men that came from Texas. They. My grandpa was a plan out of a man, too. I don't know. I mean, but he just, he liked petite women. So that's why I'm stuck being five foot seven. But I mean, my, my, grandpa, my grandpa was like six, five and probably close to 300 pounds. So it looked like he could have, he could have bent all the steel by himself. Yes. Yes. He, they, so he, they, they chose him. They chose him and, and before their men to come to travel here to see what this was about, to see if it was the real deal. Got it. And, uh. And that's how my family got here, got here in, in Sterling and Sterling and Rock Falls area. And, um, you know, the, my and that's when, you know, before when they have what's called Steelton, which is uh, just right by Casey's in in and heading out. Yep. Like that, that that area was called Steelton, where they had the railroad cars. And, uh. and my mom actually has pictures of it. And teepees, you know, and that's where the people, that's where like all the, the Mexican people lived there in the beginning when before. Straight yeah. up in tents. Yes. Before, Whoa. you know, they started building houses and before like that, you know, when, when, when this, when the town just started. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, that's how I, that's how my, my grandpa got here and then my dad was born and then all my uncles and aunts were born and then. You got know, it. So were, were, was your dad also working at the mill? Oh yeah. Yeah. Pop was a, he was a, a steel worker for close to, close to 35 years, electrician, 
electronic technician. Wow. Uh, he learned that when he went to he went to Vietnam, and he was a he was a, a electronic technician in v, in Vietnam, and uh, you know did in Vietnam in sixty eight and sixty nine seventy. You know, came back and then started working, started working at the steel mill. Actually, he worked at the phone company first and then and then worked at the steel mill. Yeah. And um, yeah. And then that's uh, that's how. And then I was born in 74. Um, and after that, you know, of course, state, you know, li- lived here, went to school here. Um, and then uh, actually I, I enlisted in the Army uh, right out of high school in, right. in 90, 93. Fall in '93. Honestly, looking back on it, I wish I would have. I wish I would have done more. I think I wanted to do that. I wanted to do. I wanted to be an air, airborne ranger. I wanted to do, you know, special forces. I wanted to do all that. My dad talked me out of it. Looking, mm. look, looking back on it, Pop did. He talked me out of it, and it's because he was a Vietnam vet. Yeah, and um, he's actually, uh, you know, I mean, he, like I've, I've heard, I heard the same three stories about Vietnam my whole life, which go, only tells you someone who is a vet you know, that only tells you that Dad saw a lot over there and had to do a lot. I know he did. Um, and so, you know, he, and he dealt with it the way that, you know, before PTSD was a, was diagnosed and before they took it seriously, you know, he dealt with it, how men of that time dealt with it with alcohol, Yeah, you know, and dad was a, was, was probably, he was considered a functional alcoholic, you know? And, um, I mean, not saying anything bad, but I love my dad. I loved him. I loved him. Like, yeah, but that's, that's just how it was back then. Yeah. Um, well, and the fact that you said, you know, you heard three stories is because everything else was edited down. Yes. You know, he, he didn't want to burden you yeah. or the rest of the family with that stuff. My, mm-hmm. my grandfather's the same way. Mm-hmm. I never heard a single story mm-hmm. from his time in mm-hmm. Vietnam. And, and yeah, from That's, what I heard, he definitely had stories to yeah. tell, but yeah. he, didn't, he didn't burden us with them. Yeah. He actually did tell my son, <clears throat> my son, a story and. My son told me this, and this wasn't that long ago. He just kind of goes, um, he's like, we were talking about my dad, and we were talking about uh, about service, about time, time and service, and this and that. And my dad, or my son told me a story that my dad told him. He said, he goes, what would you do, Logan? He goes, if you were walking down a trail, if you're in the jungle and you're walking down a trail, and you saw another another person walking towards you and he was in the opposite army you knew he was he knew you were what would you do mm. and you knew you know you had to do something about it he goes what, what would you do and you know that it's either him or you and logan's like whoa i like that you know and i even said i i wouldn't even said that i go and I was just like, oh, my God. I go, that actually happened to him. Yeah. I go, I've never heard that. Yeah. I go, Logan, I go, Logan, I've never heard that story. I've heard the same three stories from, he would call my dad Mars. He goes, I've heard the same three stories from Mars about Vietnam my whole life. Right. I go, I go that is new. And I go, that actually happened. Yeah, that's not I go, that happened to him. Like that. And I was just like this, like, wow. Like, you know, because, yeah, because I've never heard that. I've never heard that story, you know. Yeah. So, um kind of that was apparently formative for you knowing your dad mm-hmm. had that uh, military history and you mm-hmm. wanted to go into the military as well. You mm-hmm. enlisted right out of high school. Mm-hmm. What brought you back to this area after that? 
Actually, uh, like I said, I wasn't really happy with with what I enlisted in. Like I said, I wanted to be, I wanted to do more. I wanted to be, I wanted to be more. Um, and instead, I, w- I got, I was in the cavalry, which was like you know, like a heavy armored tanks, and it was communications. So I fixed their radios for them, communication stuff like that. I just, I don't know, I wasn't really too happy with it, honestly, looking back on it. And um, so I, I got, I did my enlistment. I got out. And then I came back and I did what everyone else did when in, in, in the mid nineties, everyone was pushing college. Let's go to college. Let's go to college. Yep. Just shoving it down your throat, just shoving it down your throat. Um, so I went and I, I went to Sauk, went to Sauk Valley college for a little while. And then I transferred to Augie for one year. And I actually, cause I wanted to wrestle. I was, I was a good wrestler in high school. I was, I was re- and, and I wanted to, I wanted to wrestle. That's what, that's what I wanted to do out of high school instead, you know, and, and but you know, like, and I, and I, and I did it and I did, I did okay. I did okay. Like that, you know, but actually by the time I was done with that year, I was so burned out on wrestling that I, ne- I actually, for about 10 years, I didn't step on the mat at all for about 10 years. Wow. And I actually started, that's when I started doing other martial arts. I started doing, I did, I did Taekwondo for a while. I did, you know, and then actually I started doing a lot of Muay Thai, which is a, which is a, a based over in Thailand, very like a kickboxing. Yeah. Very violent though, more violent than, than, than regular, than regular kickboxing like that, you know, and I did that for about like, about like seven years, about seven, eight years. Sure. And, um. And then I actually went to, from, from after I went to Augie, I went to Western. I went to Western for about for about two years. And uh, honestly, I uh, I just got kind of mixed up in the wrong crowd. I drank a lot, smoked a lot of weed, um, didn't go to class, you yeah. know. And of course, magically, ended up flunking out of college. Go figure. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's what happens, you know, cause and effect. Yeah. And so I, then I came home and I was like just working. I was working here, you know, I felt like, uh, you know, I think one time, I mean, I mean, and that's when I guess you could say I, at the time looking back on it, I felt like a failure. Sure. You know, I felt like a failure. I felt like it wasn't, I wasn't living up to my potential, you know, um, uh, I was about in my early thirties, you know, and, and that's when I was like, I was working at the steel mill, the same steel mill that my dad worked at, you know, forever. And I was in the finishing department, you know, which is just like the very end. And so now it's a wire mill and just, 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 just doing like real, just, you know, basic hard labor, you know, yeah. hard labor type stuff. Yeah. And, and I was, I think I was about, I think I was maybe in 30. 30, 31. Now it's just before kids. This is already. before, this is before okay. actually right before Logan was born. All right. So, so going on about 20 years ago, yeah. you know, and, um, and I, I decided that, okay, I was like, I, 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 if I want to, excuse me, if I want to do this law enforcement thing, cause at the time there was an age cutoff, 35 was the age cutoff. If you want to become a cop. Yeah. And so I was like, all right, I got to do this. And so I started and so I started studying for the 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 test that they have. Mm -hmm. And then I started uh, just like applying to every single police department in the area, you know, like Sterling, Rock Falls, Morrison, 
you know, I was going into the Quad Cities. I, 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 um, I think it was like, I didn't do Davenport, but I did Rock Island. I did Moline, tested for Moline. And then I decided I was going to test for the Department of Corrections. Mm. And I didn't even want to. I remember thinking like, man, I don't want, I want to be a prison guard. Yeah. Nobody wakes up in the morning. Nobody tells like when they, when they go to, when they, when they talk about, uh, um, like, uh, like career day and everything like that. When you're a kid, nobody says, I want to be a prison guard when I grow up. Sure. Nobody does. And so I was saying, I was like, man, no way. I don't want, I'm, I don't want that. I really don't. And, um, and I was actually in the process. I was going to actually go test up in Rockford, up in Rockford, with little Chicago, pretty much. I was going to go, I was going to go over there. And that was the next, that was the next time I knew I was going to get into Rockford. Yeah. And again, I knew that that was, that was going to happen. That was okay. You know, how bad do you want to be a cop? Because that's what it is Yeah. up there. And so, um, and then the, uh, uh, department of corrections, like, you know, got a hold of me and said, yes, yeah, you, you know, you with the, with my military background and, and I had, I had some college and I had, you know, I'm a vet, you know, like I said, veteran, just whatever, like, and yeah. And so I got hired in about 2006, you know, and then I've been, I've been working for the department now. I'm on my start my, I'm just in the middle of my 17th year right now. And always in East Moline? No, I was at Dixon. Oh, okay. I was at Dixon for about 15 years. I just transferred to East Moline, like not right. like, like as of like maybe just a little over a year and a half ago now. So I'm curious with your kind of uh, journey into what you said was not the dream job that kids have, right? Mm -hmm. And yet you've made a career of it now. Mm -hmm. You've been there yeah. almost two decades. Mm -hmm. What is something that surprised you? during your time, either from your own experience or from, uh, the folks that you serve there? I think what has surprised me the most is how it's changed me. Um, the job itself, it changes you. I don't like big crowds. Um, I don't like loud noises. Um, let's see. Uh, I have a very low tolerance for stupid people. Um, uh, I, I don't want to say I don't like to meet new people, but, um, my circle is very small. Sure. And that is something that I've been trying to change because all these things are because of, because of my job. I see what people are really capable of, what people can do. Wow. And and I, and so that's always in the back of my head, mm. always when I meet somebody and like, to the, so to the point where like, um, like, you know, like I, I don't want to say I don't want to meet new people, but I don't, it's like, well, I don't, I don't need to meet new people. Like, yeah. you know, like, you know, and I've been trying to, as of late, actually with getting sober and everything like that, I've realized that, look, I can't. I mean, I, I can't act like this. Yeah. I can't I can't do this for the rest of my life. I'm not going to be that guy who does that. And so I've I'm consciously trying to change the way that I look at that, trying to put myself out there, trying to do new things, trying to trying to be a better person. So like tell me a little bit about the cause and effect. Do you, the way you're describing me of not liking big crowds. Mm -hmm. uh, That's all PTSD. It, so it, that you feel is is that that was not true of you 15, 20 years oh, ago. Oh, no. No, that was a, that was, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. You know, I probably did have some PTSD from being in the army um, like so that. So what is it, what is it about corrections that uh, has 
uh, put you in this pressure cooker that has changed things like that? It's just the, the constant stress, the constant noise, you know, um, it's like, it's constant. It doesn't stop. I mean, they've, they've proven, they say that the uh, most correctional officers have a, a higher PTSD than, uh, than soldiers coming back from war. And it's because it's just nonstop. It doesn't, it doesn't stop. That prison is open 24, seven, seven yeah. days a week, 365. There yeah. is no off day. We don't, you know, we, we don't take the day off for Christmas. Yeah. You know, Labor Day, we labor. Yeah. You know, um, you know, you name it. There is no holidays. You know, Fourth of July, just another day in the joint, you know, and that's why. And so it's constant. It's constant. It's the same every day. You know what you're getting yourself into. Yes. I know. I know what I'm I know what, what I'm walking into most of the time, but it doesn't stop. It hmm. doesn't ever stop. And this is also why correctional officers drink. Yeah. <laughs> That's how. Yeah. So talk to me about that. Cause you're saying you, you, you know, you're celebrating two years of sobriety, you know, congratulations on that. Honestly, thank that you. is, that's not much. a small thing at all. Thank you very much. Yes. What changed two years ago? Uh, actually, uh, I was in, uh, I was in a state of probably a depression. Um, my dad died of COVID mm. and, uh, I'm so sorry. It's okay. It's okay. Um, it was a pop died. And, uh, you know, it was, that was a messed up time, man. It was like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and he was alone too. Like we couldn't even go in and say goodbye. He was in, he was, he was in the hospital and they wouldn't let us in. And it was like, you know, it was just really, it was a really messed up time. It was a really yeah. messed up time for everybody. And I know it, and, and I know that, that people could agree like that's wholeheartedly if they, if they don't agree or if they haven't, they probably didn't lose anybody. Sure. You know, and that, and that's the thing that I've really kind of noticed, you know, when people will say, people would say, well, and I, I don't have, I didn't have any problem with COVID. COVID wasn't a big deal. It was like having a cold. Yeah. Um, it was just like, well, maybe for you, yeah. but not for my dad. Yeah. You know? A lot of people had very different experiences. Yes. Yes. And so even though we all went through it at the same time, yeah. we didn't all go through it the same. Yeah. Yeah, mm. totally. And so, um, after dad died, um, you know, I, I mean, I drank, but it wasn't like, it wasn't at that level. Um, I think, uh, in the, I mean, and this also has to do with, with my job too. Um, I remember it was right after my dad died and I remember, um, I was like, you only get, we only got two days, which is now they changed it. Um, we only got two days bereavement for, for immediate family. And, and I remember I went in and I was talking to a major that I worked for. And this, um, the, this woman is, a, she was a robot. And, uh, I, I went in and I told her, I go, okay, I just kind of said my dad's funerals on Friday. And, uh, so I'm going to take Wednesday, Thursday, Friday off. And she's like, you only get two days bereavement. And I go, okay, well then I guess I'm just going to take Thursday and Friday off. And she's like, okay. Like, you know, and I'm just like, whatever I get, you know, and as Toronto walked out. Right. Anyway, she's like, she goes, I need a copy of his old bit. I go, you'll get it. Like, you know, and so, anyway, and so after that, I'm like, okay, three days, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I can do three days, you know, like, and so that, that night I come in on Monday, they send me up to KSB and I was watching where, where you, you know, if you have an, if you have an, an offender that's up, up in the hospital, you got to have an officer up there watching him. Yep. He's chained to a bed. He ain't going nowhere, but you still got to have somebody up there watching him. Yep. Um, I went up there then, then they mandated me for 16 hours. And so I was up there for 16 hours, get relieved to go home at 11, go home, come back right back at seven o'clock, you know, yeah. 
they send me right back up to KSB. And this time it's in the ICU and uh, the intensive care unit. And I'm watching an, a guy on a vent. Now, now this is right after my dad died. Yeah. You know, dad died of COVID and he was on a vent. And, you know, you know, I, I don't I don't know what this guy did. You know, but he's not alone. I'm here. Yeah. Like that. My dad died alone. And that's right. the thing I was thinking like that, like just, you know, like that. But I was I was keeping it together. Sure. You know, I was trying to keep it together, you know. And um, and then uh, then the nurses who really don't like us anyway. I mean, for all the nurses out there, you guys are fantastic. And I know we, what you guys are going through was probably just as bad as what we were going through. I'm not saying anything bad about that. I'm just saying that at the time, this is what happened. It was a it was a high stress. Oh, my God. Yeah, very high sure. stress. Very high stress. So anyway, they were trying to tell me that I had to go in in the uh, um, like in the room with this guy. And I'm like, I go, I'm not going in there. I said, go, I'm not going in there. Yeah. And they're like, no, you have to go in there. I go, no, I'm not. I'm not going in there. I go, he ain't going nowhere. He's chained to a bed, two different places. His leg and his arm chained to a bed. And he's on a vent. He's yeah. not getting up and going anywhere. Right. <laughs> and I said, I, go, I can see him right here. He ain't going nowhere. And they just didn't say anything. Anyway. And so um, they were, uh, anyway, I was just kind of sitting there. And I was actually studying for my lieutenant exam because I was trying, I was at the time, I was hot and heavy on becoming a lieutenant. And so you got to take an exam. And so I'm just studying and I'm, I'm looking at my note cards. I'm going through my note cards and my, and my mask keeps falling down. Remember like under your nose. Oh yeah. Remember they would say, no, you got to have your mask above your nose and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, ah, that's the only way it works. And when everyone was big on the mask anyway. And so kept dropping down, kept dropping down. Finally, just said, forget it. And so I just didn't like that. And so these nurses, they called the head of nursing for the, for the KSB to come and talk to me. So this guy comes and he sits down and I'm just like that. And he turns and he looks at me and he goes, Hey, can I, can I talk to you? I'm like, I look at this guy and I'm like, about what about him? Like motioning to the offender. I'm like, about him like that. And he goes, no, I just need to talk to you. And he goes, how are you doing? <laughs> and I just kind of go, I just looked at him and I go, I'm not well, I'm not doing good, man. What do you want? Yeah. And he goes, man, I don't mean to be coming at you sideways or that gap, but I really need you to put your put your PPE on and if you're going to be out here. And I come unglued. I literally I lose it. And I remember saying to him, I only remember bits and pieces. I remember saying to him, it's not like this stuff works. Um, it didn't save my dad, you know. And then I'm like, uh, and I told them, I go, you know what? It's people like you that kept me from seeing my dad, you know? And I remember just saying like, and, and I remember just seeing red at that time and actually like, and like, I, like, I, I think, I mean, I'm, I, I mean, I'm glad like they didn't like call the police because I was seriously like, sure. I mean, that guy was like backing away from me. Like, you know, like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't, I, you know, I, I'm yeah. sorry about your dad. I'm sorry about your dad, you know? And uh, and then I finally kind of realized that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm being the crazy person. I'm like, oh, God. And so I just sit down and I'm bawling my eyes out like that. And I feel bad. And of course, I apologize. I'm like, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You know, and um, and uh, uh, and I remember this made me feel even worse. A nurse comes up to me. One of the nurses that I was probably yelling at comes up to me with the with the Kleenex and just goes, I'm sorry about your dad. And then I just go, oh, <laughs> like that, you know, which makes me feel even worse. And at that time, I, I, uh, I, 
I call back the institution, tell them to send me relief, you know, tell them to, you know, to get me out of here. I can't believe you guys put me up here on a, you know, yeah. like watching a guy in a vent after my dad died. Yeah. I'm like, I'm going to kill somebody. Yeah. And they were just like, you know, Ruben, don't kill anybody. I'm sorry. We're sending you somebody. With the, don't do it. <laughs> and so finally I'm like, uh, get relieved. And, and now I'm driving back to the institution. And, um, as I'm driving, I'm getting angrier and angrier because they knew, you know, they knew everybody knew, you know, it's just that they didn't care now. I mean, and I'm sure if, if those majors that are, that if they're listening to this, they'll probably deny it, sure. <laughs> you know, but, but they didn't, Yeah. you know, or, or at the very least they didn't care enough to give it a second thought. Yes. It was just another assignment. Like everyone's another yep. assignment, not, Hey, Maybe should we, maybe should we, we be, shouldn't put Ruben there. Maybe maybe I mean after his dad died from COVID and he was on a vent and he's yeah. like that, his mental headspace right now it's probably not good to maybe put him up there watching a guy in a hospital. Maybe that's you know, how about we put him? Uh, what we put him in a housing unit? How we doing? Like you know what? I better yeah, we'll be giving the day off. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. Know? But you know, and luckily, I mean, I, I I got back and and a buddy of mine who was a lieutenant there still like was was waiting for me outside the institution and wouldn't let me go in. And it was probably that was probably a saving grace because I probably would have lost my job that day. I don't know what I would have done. I sure. really don't. But it was also the embryo stage of my alcoholism. I left, and I remember driving to Walmart in Sterling, and I'm in uniform. You know, I roll in there and I go the, to the the alcohol section and I grab a, literally a bottle of anything. I don't even know what it was. I'm guessing it was whiskey. I kind of remember just whiskey for some reason. And um, and I went to the self-checkout and this is like 10 o'clock in the morning and beep, paid for it and cracked it open. Bam, right there. And just like like three or three, three or four solid good pulls, you know, glug, 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 glug. Lady looks at me and goes, sir, you can't do that. And I just looked at her and I go, I'm a cop. And I pointed at my badge, <laughs> which was on my jacket. I'm in full uniform. <laughs> and she's like, she just literally backed away like, oh, this guy's crazy. I'm just going to leave him alone. And I just said, yeah, good idea. Glug, glug, glug. Like that, yeah, another pull, another couple pulls, put the cap back on and walked out to the car. You know, sat there. Another couple more pulls. Yeah. And then drove home, you know. At the time, you know, I didn't think I had a problem. I didn't think that was, that was just, you know, that was just yeah, how just, I was dealing with just it. Just blowing off steam. <laughs> yeah, just right. yeah, how, yeah. That's just how I was dealing with it, you know. Um, you know, come to find out, you know, maybe about a year later, you know, I, uh, I was at, uh, and like I said, it was, you know, I was spiraling. I was doing, I was making bad choices, making bad decisions. Nothing, nothing actually like, uh, Alcoholics will talk about that rock bottom moment where everything gets taken away from them. They lose everything, lose their job, lose their car, lose their house, lose their family, lose their wife, lose everything like that. You know, luckily that didn't happen to me. I just got the literally the bejesus scared out of me. A buddy was uh, was getting married. And I remember he said he was going to have a soft bachelor party. And that's how he put it. I'm going to have a soft bachelor party. We're going to go out on a Wednesday. And I was just like, soft my ass. <laughs> this is an opportunity. <laughs> and so we go out and now it's 11 o'clock and I am nowhere near as drunk as I want to be. You know, yeah. nowhere near as drunk. And I was angry. I'm like, mm. 
Cause I only have two more hours. That's yeah. it. I only have two more hours. And so I'm like, all right. So we're at the last stop in Dixon. And I remember I ordered two shots of Jaeger and I just go, I was like, I was like, you do, do a shot with me. And he goes, ah, I don't want to. I go do drink your shots. So I drink a shot. He drinks a shot like that. And he was like, he was like, all right. I go, I go, give me two more. Wait, and the bartender was over, pours two more. And he's like, I, he's like, I don't want, he goes, I, he goes, I'm, I don't, I'm not drinking this. I go drink your shot. I drink mine, bam. And he does the old throw the shot over the shoulder like that, throw it over his shoulder thing. Mm -hmm. I saw him do that and I got angry because he was, now he's wasting. Now you're wasting it. You know? Oh yeah. And so I go, that's it. We're doing two more. I go, you're drinking another shot. And he goes, I don't want it. And, mm. and so I go, I go two more shots. And now the bartender comes over and looks like, what the, like, and he but he still pours them like that, you know, and I pay for him. And then I drink, I drink mine. He goes, I'm not drinking that. And I go, fine. And I drink, I drink his boom. So that's what five. Yeah. So I drank five shots of Jägermeister in a time span of maybe less than 10 minutes. So yeah, I was there. I was, it got me, it got me to, it got me to where I wanted and I was actually fine. I was actually okay at that, at that moment in time. And he was like, are you okay to drive? And I go, yeah, I'm fine. I'm good to drive. From the moment I walked out to the moment in the parking lot till I got the car, it hit. And I went to the dark side. And I remember like, you know, like trying to walk towards my car. And it was like the car just kept getting farther and farther away. Wow. And I was just, but I made it there anyway. And so I'm, I'm sitting in the, I'm sitting in the driver's seat. And, and, and that, that little voice was like, you should not be driving. Mm. But then that other voice, the alcoholic in me, that other alcoholic voice says, you have done this drive for the past, what, 15 years. You know your way home. You know what to do. Turn the car on and let's do it. Quit being a pussy. You can do it. Come on. You know, I get, and so I, I, and I did. And I started the car, got out there. He's like, you're going to hit the light. You're going to wait for it to turn green. You're going to go straight. You're going to go down the windy road. You're going to hit the stoplight. You're not going to do right on red. You're going to wait for it to turn green. Then you're going to get on route two and you're going to head out. And then you have to worry about a stadium. Ain't no stadies on the, on the, it's Wednesday. Ain't no stadies. Like, you know, and this is how, this is how alcoholics think. You, yeah. you, you like, you know, you justify everything, you know? So anyway, I make it out of Dixon and I'm on, I'm on route two. And I'm thinking like, oh, I'm good. I just got to get past Sock. I was going to take the exit right past Sock and go the back way, you know, like, and, and that's where I live. I live like off, off Woodlawn. Anyway, um, and about, I remember seeing Sock because I remember thinking, oh, I'm good. I black out and I don't remember anything or I, I just black out. And I remember coming to and I was like, I was like snoring, man. Like I was sleeping like that. And I remember opening my eyes and and I remember seeing there was a there was a hand like a like and it had the wheel and it was like and it had a hold of the wheel just like that i remember just opening my eyes and looking around like that and i looked to my right and it's my dad and i literally just screamed i was like ah like that you know like that because i think i was like am i and i just go am i dead am i dead am i dead you know like thinking like you know dad's been gone a year and he goes no, Ruben, God damn it, you're not dead. <laughs> again, and I'm like, well, what's going on? He's like, he's, he's like, just put your hands on the wheel again. I'm like, Ugh! like, you know, and I do like that. 
and he's like yelling at me. He's just giving me the business, telling me to get my get my stuff together. I can't be doing this for you. I just got here. I am burning up favors left and right. He's like, you know, and I then I remember promising him, like, all right, I'm done. I'm done drinking. I'm not going to drink anymore. And he said, he goes, you better get your shit together. That's what he said. That's what my dad would say when he was when he would get sick of me and my crap. He would say, get your shit together, Ruben. And he would say it just like that, you know, like that. And I would be like, and then next thing you know, I black out again. Now I come and and I come to again. And now I'm in my driveway. And I'm just like, what the? Hit the garage door. Garage door opens. I'm like, oh, my God. And, you know, because I got to you got to go in the garage door and shut it behind you because they can still pull you over in your driveway. Yeah. Only an alcoholic knows that. And so, and so I drive in, put it in park, hit the garage door, turn it off. And I sit there for a second. And for a second, I'm like thinking like, man, did that just happen? Whoa. What the? No way. And then the next thought was, oh, man, now I got to stop drinking. Yeah. I'm like, so I do what any but any alcoholic did. I went inside the house and I cracked open about five or six drinks and I just started drinking them. I'm just sitting there like, and I'm just drinking them. And I'm thinking, this is it. This is it. This is it. Like, like, I'm going to turn back into a pumpkin before midnight. So here we go. And I'm and I'm drinking. I just sat there and I'm just thinking, like, you know, I can't believe, I can't believe that just happened. Hmm. And I made it through the weekend and I was like, but it was mellow. I was mellow. And my wife was even like, what's going on with you? You know, you're nowhere near as loaded as I thought you'd be, you know? And I'm like, no, I'm just, I, 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 I gave her some, gave her some excuse. I kind of was like, ah, oh, my stomach hurts or like that, you know, like that. And she's like, all right, like that, you know? So now it's Sunday after the wedding and I feel like crap. I feel like it cause I've been drinking probably since Wednesday, you know? And I remember, I just, uh, I remember thinking, I'm like, I'm done with this. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to do this to myself anymore. I'm done. And I remember just telling her, I'm like, um, I think I'm done drinking. I'm not, I'm not going to drink anymore. And she just looked at me and kind of goes, yeah, right. She goes, okay. Okay. Yeah, right. And I go, yeah. I didn't really say anything. I just went out like that. And I reached out to Mark, who is my sponsor now. And, um, and I, uh, uh, I reached out to him and I just, uh, I, I I didn't know that Mark was a uh, was was recovering. I just knew he didn't drink, and um, he. Uh, uh, I remember just reaching out to him and saying, "Hey, man, I, I I know you don't drink, and and I'm done drinking too. I don't want to do it anymore." Hmm. And he just goes, "I'm proud of you." He just said, "I'm proud of you," and he goes. If you, you ever want to go to a meeting, you let me know. And then I was like, oh, like like this. I was like, oh man, because now it's getting real. Like yeah. I, I just knew, I just knew he didn't drink. I I, 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 I wasn't just ready to tell somebody. I didn't want to yeah, go yeah. anywhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I just wanted to. I didn't want to. Yeah, I, I didn't want to do this whole AA thing. I didn't want to do that. I just just didn't want to drink, you know. And he tells me he's like, hey, well, I'm going to a meeting on Tuesday. If you want to come, you can come with. And so I was like, yeah, okay, yeah, sure. Tuesday comes. Ruben, yeah. I'm going to that meeting. Let me pick you up. Oh, I'm a man of my word, man. Like, and so I go, yes. Okay. He goes, all right, I'll be there in about 15 minutes. I'm like, okay. So I tell my wife, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to an AA meeting. And, and she was just like, 
what's going on with you? You know, now she's like, you know what? Are, are you going to treatment? Are you going like that? And I go, no, 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 I'm not doing that. I'm not going to treatment. I'm like, I'm just going to an AA meeting like that. You know, I'm then, and, and, and I get in, I get in the, in the truck and Mark was like, Hey man, what's up? I go, Hey, we get there and I'm kind of like, you know, cause I didn't know what to expect. I didn't yeah. like that, you know? And I remember I was thinking to myself, I got that guy, all right, I'm going to do this one meeting and that's it. I, I, I don't have a problem with alcohol. These guys are alcoholics. I'm not an alcoholic. Yeah, you, you I don't quit. have a problem. You're strong. Yeah, you I'm quit good. by yourself. I'm, yeah. I'm good. I don't need that. I don't need this. I'm good. I don't need that. So I get in there and everyone starts talking. And and actually, and this is when this is one of those things when they talk about and they talk about an A, they talk about this is a God thing. Um, each person started talking and I had something in common with every single person at the table. And I'd never seen any of these guys. I don't know any of these guys from Adam at all. Yeah. I knew Mark and that was it. I didn't know any of them. So how could I have something in common with every single person at the table? When it got to me, I realized that I was supposed to be here, that it was a promise that I made to my dad mm. and God led me to this point. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah. And then I, you know, I, I confessed that, you know, that, uh, that I have a problem. I have a problem with alcohol and that I was an mm. alcoholic and that this is where I'm supposed to be. And that was two years ago. And so, and the moment that that happened, it was like taking like a, like an 80 pound rucksack off my back, like dropping it. And then if any, if any of you have been lucky enough to do a, a, a ruck march, it sucks. And so, <laughs> and so, yeah, like talk about the weight of the world. It felt like this, like the weight of the world was off. It was lifted. It was yeah. lifted, you know. And but that was just the beginning. That and that's the thing about sobriety or AA. It never stops. Yeah, it never stops. It's always ongoing. Uh, there's a guy that uh, that that I that I um in, in AA with. His name's Goldie. He's a great guy. He would always say that you know he said alcohol is doing push-ups out in the parking lot right now waiting for us because it is. It's waiting. It's it's waiting for you to be weak, and mm. that that goes with any with any substance or anything mm. that you are addicted to and you're trying to stop. It is it just waits like a snake curled up waiting to strike and that's when you have to be strong that's when that's when you need to realize that it is okay to ask for help it is okay to talk it is okay to do that and and that and that's what that's what it is it's about it's really it's about asking for help and it's about like you know like wanting knowing that you know the alcohol is cunning baffling powerful and and you can't do it alone yeah. You can't do it alone. You know, like, and so that's what, that's like just a little bit of actually what, of, of what got me, got me into A and what got me to stop drinking and what, you know, and, you know, like I said, the battle, the battle continues and it's like, it's, it may not be every day, yeah. you know, but believe me, there is times, there is days, there's times like that, you know, and you get to learn your, your triggers, what trigger you and stuff like that. With me, it's anger. You know, mm -hmm. you know, I get, I get angry, I get pissed off. Something happens, something doesn't go my way you know, like that, you know, and, you know, and you want to escape, you know, and alcohol is just like, you know, here, man, drink this. Yeah. Like here's that. a, here's yeah. a quick escape. Yeah, drink this, man. You yeah. Know, you know, I got you. It'll, it'll take care of everything like mm. that, you know, and what it does, it just makes everything worse. You know, you just, you, you do 
crazy, crazy stuff. When you do it, you, you make it, you make it not only make it worse, but you multiply it, Mm. you know, by, by the decisions you made and by the whatever like that. And then you end up getting a DUI or even worse yet killing somebody or yourself, you know, or, um, making a dumb mistake, making a, making an even dumber choice. Yeah. And that affects your life for the rest of, you know, for forever, you know? Yeah. Wow. Dude, Ruben, thank you so much for no sharing problem, that no and problem, uh, opening up all that. Cause I think, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's when we, when we hear these types of stories, mm-hmm. we see the commonality that we experience, whether mm-hmm. we have the same vice or not, yeah. the human experience of not being able to control everything around us, mm-hmm. feeling out of control mm-hmm. and then how we deal with that. Yeah the escapes that we go to or whatever. Mm-hmm. I think that that, that is a thing that's common for everybody. Yeah. You know, one um, thing that I realized that helps me when it comes to stuff like that, is I realize that I only control what I say and what I do. Hmm. And that's the thing that helps me is that I realize that, you know, that really that it's illusion of control. That's what we have. And when it comes down to it, you control what you say and what you do. That's what I tell myself. Yeah. Like that, because and then that's it. Yeah. I'm curious, how has this journey uh, changed your perspective as a father? It actually, I I think honestly, doing this at the time that I'm doing it right now, especially because my son's at a, a going to Northern right now, and he's in a fraternity, and he's in like that. I couldn't have picked a better time to be sober to because right. yes, because he now he sees that he saw what it did to me. Hmm. You know, before and then now he sees how I am now hmm. and just he sees that, you know, just the, you know, the my daughter would <laughs> would tell him I would say some crazy stuff, man. When I was drunk, I would like that. And and I and she would say, Logan, you need to write down this stuff that dad says. <laughs> and I even told him, I said, I go, you guys need to write a book that said they just say, you know, the crazy shit my dad said when he was drunk and then do another one. Say, and they'll say now the crazy shit my dad says when he's sober. Sure. Like that, I got it would kill. I told him I go, it would kill. I, I don't remember. I don't yeah. remember any of the stuff I said. Yeah. Like, yeah, but I bet you it was good. I bet you it was hysterical. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I had my son just sees me you know I'm a big believer of course I'm leading by example yeah and uh, my son sees sees me do that and he sees me that you know that that look and if, if, if dad can do it you know I know I, I know I can do it mm-hmm. you know and I'll tell him I'd be like you know man I'm like I'm telling you you don't want to do that you don't want to act like this this it's not it's not good it's not good for anything it's definitely not gonna make you feel good yeah. you don't prove anything to anybody you really don't yeah. You know, lots of people I talk to think that, you know, wow, man, I'm, 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 I'm better. I'm better when I drink. I'm better like, a, you don't do anything better drunk, man. Yeah. Okay. You're not a better dad. You're not a better husband. You're not a better, you're not better at your job. You know, you're definitely not a better anything. Yeah. You know, when you're drunk. Yeah. You know, if anything, you're just more disconnected. Totally. From, from all those things. Totally disconnected. Because, and that's the thing that, that any of those vices, any of those escapes do is you're trying to escape. You're yeah. trying to separate yourself yeah, from the, the feelings you're having inside. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I'm sure we, I mean, we could, we could talk about this for hours cause there's just so much, uh, re- relatable about experiencing, uh, pain, mm-hmm. experiencing discontent and, uh, discouragement and how we all 
respond to that and stuff like yeah. that. Mm-hmm. But I mean, we've already been chatting for a long time. I want to be respectful mm-hmm. of your time, but I always ask a couple questions of everyone at the end. And I'm curious of your perspective as a local who, uh, I mean, your family's got deep roots here. Mm-hmm. You've been a Sock Valley local for generations, yes. literally. Mm-hmm. So as you have lived and worked here, um, let's, let's go positive first. What gets you excited about the Sock Valley and what gives you hope about this area? I think the lots of things that I that, that I see is uh, when my my kids just got done you know, like my my son just got done graduating high school and my daughter's a sophomore in high school right now seeing the um, all the opportunity that these kids have right now everything that they have from other all the way like things from Westwood to uh, seeing like the high school how much it's changed you know in the last like thirty years yeah. Just all, all, all the things to that all, that awesome uh, football field they got with the with the turf grass to, yep. you know, just the just the uh, I mean, just all the cool stuff that they have. I went to the football game, the last last home football game, and and they're selling T-shirts and they're doing stuff like that. And you know, I my 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 daughter's a cheerleader, and um, and I go down and I help and, and I hold. The, she asked me to, to hold like the big banner that the, the football team runs through, which is really neat. I really enjoy that. I kind of I, I kind of like uh, like really like that. I always you get a, to be right there. Yes, the yeah, it's yeah. neat, and it reminds. It looks like you know, it looks like it looks like a college. It looks like you know, like 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 they're like they're playing football in college, like that. You know. Yeah. And I think just the just like I don't think these kids realize how how good they have it, how good they have it with this this community and how and how good not only with athletics, but also with the arts, because my son was he was I would say, you know, you you know, you artsy fartsy types. And that's what he was. He was a music and drama and like that. And. You know, you're not going to see as as good of of, of a music and drama department outside of, uh, I think, do you get to the suburbs yeah. around here? I think even in the quad cities, you got, you got quad city kids coming out here. Sure. You know, like at the, yeah, kids going to Timber Lake. So they go in Timber Lake, they're coming here, you know, yeah. because, because of our, of our arts program, you know, mm. I think that, uh, that it's just, it, it's really neat and it's really, it's, it's really positive. I think it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, you, you'll see just, I see good things. I see good things when I see, you know, all, all, all these kids with these opportunities they have. Mm. Yeah. And then what about the other side of the coin? I don't want to spend so much time on this, you know, cause we can, you know, it's really easy to kind of vent and, and rant about stuff. But like, if you could change one thing about the Sock Valley, what do you think's missing? I think uh, one thing that 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 I'm I'm actually going to try. I think me me and me and Mark are going to try to do is uh, we're going to try to, uh, to try to help um, with more more substance abuse in in the in the area. We want to open up um, a you know, like a counseling center. You know mm. that that that's something that I want to do. I want to be a drug and alcohol counselor once I retire from uh, from Department of Corrections. And uh, I think you know with the basis of also, also uh, using with using Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and Judo, you know, to help to help, which which they say is proven mm-hmm. to help help uh, like, you know, people with PTSD and like that. You know, I think a lot of it is uh, when you're when you have an addictive personality and that's anybody who gets addicted to anything you have. It's your personality. You get it. You just have an addictive personality. You know, I do. Um, uh, you just have to find something healthy to be, get addicted to, yeah. you know, and that's what I'm addicted. I'm addicted to, 
to uh, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian jiu-jitsu. I'm addicted to that now. And then now I just started doing judo. Like, literally, I just started doing it maybe about about like two months ago. And, and I'm hooked. I'm hooked. And, uh, you know, I want to be, I want to be a, a, you know, a double black belt. I'll be a black belt in both, you know, eventually, you know, like, and I think, you know, doing that and, and, and offering, offering these things along with that, you know, making it full body wellness. Yeah. You know, I think that that, and, and not only, you know, not, not only physically, you know, but emotionally, you know, like that. I think that's, you know, that that's something that I think this uh, that this area needs. You yeah. know, I think it'd be I think it'd be great. I think it'd be something that'd be a great, a great asset. I think. Well, you heard it here for first, folks. And so if there's anyone else out there who uh, shares some of those passions, I'm sure they'll reach out to you and get connected with you. Because, I mean, that's one of the things I think is so great is that usually when you're on to something good, um, that usually means that there's already already momentum in that direction. Mm-hmm. And it's even just finding a partner or two or some cheerleaders or some mm-hmm. uh, supporters, you know, kind of that thing. Cause mm-hmm. you're right. When, when there's something that, that is a need, it, it, it goes more quickly towards recognizing that this is something that's going to really help people. So I'm excited for seeing where that journey takes you. Um, but man, Ruben, thank you so much for just being on the show today. No problem, man. Thanks. Thank you for having me. This was, was great. It was great. I hope I didn't talk too much. Hey, not at all. <laughs> love your stories. Love your laugh. Yeah. And, um, man, just really good being together. And so until next time on the Sock Valley Spotlight, I'm your host, Drew Williams, and let's keep finding the beauty of this place that we call home.